All right, maybe, it wasn't even 2200. So, <laughs> Matthew chapter 7. Um, so, so the title of this is Beautiful Soul, and I, and I, and I heard a, a quote, I saw it, um, and, um, and, and, I, and it really got me to thinking, this was a while back, I looked for who wrote the quote, I can't find it, it's just anonymous, and uh, he writes a lot of stuff, and uh, I, I can't find it, so I, I'm going to, but, but this is kind of the springboard for this, is the concept of a beautiful soul, what does this look like, what does it mean to have a beautiful soul? That uh, we use statements, oftentimes we use statements like, oh, they have a, well, like that, they have a beautiful soul, but we don't, know, we don't know what we're basing that upon. The same thing that I hear when I hear people say, well, so-and-so died, well, they're in a, they're in a better place. We don't know that. That's, plus, there's no scripture for a better place, right? We don't, we don't know these things, but we make these statements all the time because as humans, it makes us feel better. We process this stuff. Uh, you hear somebody say, well, well, they're an old soul. You know, a young person, well, they, they're an old soul. Usually that means they're eccentric and a little weird. But um, I know because we say that about my middle son sometimes. He's an old soul. And uh, really, he's just, he's just weird sometimes. So, so, but we make these statements, right? We do this stuff, and we don't have anything to base it upon. Well, I want us to really process what would a, what a beautiful soul look like. There's so much scripture. In fact, the more I went through this, there's no way I'm going to... I just really narrowed it down to, to one set of scripture to kind of process this. Because uh, there's too much. The Bible actually talks about this a lot. What it means, like, like it, doesn't, it doesn't use the term beautiful soul, but when, when, um, when uh, Enoch just went to be with God, that wasn't, that, that wasn't because he was beautiful on the outside. We don't know what Enoch looked like. We have no idea what he looked like. But he was very close to God. Very close to God. He had a, what I would term, a beautiful soul. A very beautiful soul. But I want to start this off by kind of processing a scripture. I do this every now and then with this scripture because I, I think this one's important for us to Keep in mind, but the church really doesn't do well with this scripture. We don't do with the understanding it. Um, we, I've heard sermons about it that are just off base of what they're trying, what, what I believe the scripture is trying to say. Books that are written about it that are not really narrowing down, not getting to the meat of what this is. Because I think we don't understand it because it goes against our American Christian culture to really think about what this scripture talks about. Um, this is very countercultural for right now today. And by the way, it was then too when Jesus said it. But Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The concept of Lord, Lord is that you are putting yourself, your life, uh, under the authority, under the teaching, under the direction of the person you're calling Lord. The way that we would say this today is that I'm a Christian. I belong to Jesus. I'm a Christian. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step all over the line of what it is to be a Christian or not with not actually addressing that. If that's not my goal with this, but it does address it in Scripture. Okay? But it says, everybody that calls me Lord, Lord, or, or Jesus is my Savior, Jesus is uh, my Lord, not everybody that calls out to the Lord like that will enter the kingdom of heaven. So just because somebody says that Jesus is their Lord, or just because somebody says, I'm a Christian, does not mean that they are. In fact, one of the things that I'm finding very, very uh, common today, specifically within the younger ages, is this idea that they go to a church, they're part of a church context, they sing the songs, they, they come and watch what's happening in the church, they go to Bible studies, all this kind of stuff. But a lot of times these these uh, younger people have never actually said, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. That's an interesting phenomenon to me. Because to me, that's kind of how we started it off back in the day. right? And I don't exactly do this this way. And, and sometimes I get criticized for it, and I don't think the people that are criticizing me are totally wrong. Okay? But back in the day, the very first time you ever showed up to church, you were expected to come down front, kneel down, and have a bunch of people pray for you to be saved. Now, I don't do it exactly like that because I do know that, that sometimes people are not ready for stepping out and coming down in front of everybody else. 
Okay? It doesn't mean they're not ready to give their heart to Jesus, but that, that was a cultural thing that was attached to it that, that, that you know, come down front was never in Scripture. I see that hand was never in Scripture, right? The concept is, we get that, but, but I like to make it a little more comfortable for you to say, I want Jesus to be my Savior without having to come down in front of everybody else. But that's how we started it back in the day. Nowadays, we don't even finish there. There are, there are oftentimes when I have conversations with people that have been going to church for a while, that are part of all the church things, they're doing this stuff, but they have never said, Jesus, I submit my soul, my life, my existence to you. You are my God. I forgive my sins. Cover me with your blood. They've never said those things to Jesus. Lord, you are my Savior. Um, it's, it's a weird it's a weird paradigm we've built in the church that are, that are Romans chapter 10 says that you, that you, that whoever believes in Jesus Christ can be saved. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And those things are seen to be left out. So this is right here. It says, Lord, Lord, just because they say that doesn't mean they're going to go to heaven. Only those who actually do. Now, this is very interesting. We're going to see in these next three or four sentences that we're seeing in the Greek, it's same as in the English, we're seeing this um, action statement that is made here. Only those who actually do, that's action, right? Okay? Actually do the will of the Father, my Father in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who do the will of the Father. And then Jesus addresses like the three biggest things <clears throat> that he says, Paul says different times, that this is, uh, this is how we minister in the authority in the name of Jesus, as I was talking about earlier. And he, he picks on these three things. But the interesting thing is, is most of the church <clears throat> is not walking regularly in all three of these things on a regular basis. A lot of the American church is not in this arena. So we haven't even made it to the you're not there yet. Right? Okay, he says, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, Perform many miracles in your name. That's kind of good, strong Christian direction. All of this stuff is what we as Christians should be involved with. Mark 16 says, preach the gospel. These signs will follow. And it's this list with, with uh, speaking in tongues added to it. So we see where this is solid ministry. We see where we're supposed to be doing this. Jesus sent out the 12. He sent out the 70. And he said, do this stuff. Cast out demons. Pray for the sick. All this kind of stuff. And, and in fact, the disciples come back to Jesus at, at one particular point and say, we couldn't cast out the demons. We did all this stuff. And Jesus got irritated with them. He says, how many times do I have to tell you the same stuff? Right? So for Jesus, <clears throat> there was an expectation that them, then, and us, now, we're supposed to be casting out demons. And our American culture, not just church culture, but our American culture, dismisses the idea of spirituality at all levels and that there would be actual people that are possessed with demons. We act like that doesn't exist. And it's around us all the time. In fact, let me go back to a subject I just mentioned. If you are in some kind of leadership position, governmental, political, or something, and you are pushing the agenda of grooming kids or murdering babies in the womb or something, there's no way you can convince me that that's not demon possession driving that. How do you kill defense? I'm not saying somebody that goes and gets an abortion. I do think there's other categories of how much they know and how much is intentional and all this other kind of stuff. But the people that are pushing these agendas and making sure that, the, that there's all these clinics and that we're making laws about this and all kinds of stuff. Guys, I have sat there and watched this in the Capitol. And I've watched where people will get up and with a, with a demonic fury defend murdering babies. Mad at me because I say that's wrong. That's demonic. And, and by the way, <clears throat> I say that there. Because people say, well, don't they? Sometimes they listen to you online when you're preaching. Yes, they do. They, they write articles about it all the time. Well, I'm making sure they get it right. I say it in the Capitol, too. This is demonic. And newspapers make fun of me. In fact, one newspaper wrote a whole article about me saying, he actually believes in demons. And I, 
I didn't like say, yeah, I'm being interviewed by one. I didn't go that far. <laughs> but I sure wanted to. Guys, there are demons. There are the spiritual stuff going on out there. And here's the reality. Jesus is expecting us to be casting out demons. Do you know that? That's multiple places in Scripture. He is expecting us. When we preach the gospel, He's expecting us to be confronted with the spiritual and to have authority over and cast out demons. He is expecting us to prophesy in His name. In fact, I believe strongly that Jeremiah 1.5 that says that you will be a voice of prophecy to the nations. I don't think God was just talking to Jeremiah. I think he's talking to you and I. And we're supposed to, to prophesy in his name, cast out demons in his name, and heal the sick in his name. We're supposed to be doing this. And, and, and I'm not trying to be overly critical, but that's not where the church in America is for the most part. A very small percentage of the church in America actually walks in that thought arena. In fact, I, I get regularly, I get people that anytime I talk about praying in the Spirit or tongues or the gifts of the Spirit or anything, I get people that will say, well, do, do we really, is that really supposed to be part of our existence? The, the reason that the answer is yes is because you are dealing with the spiritual every single day. But we've told ourselves that stuff doesn't exist, and so we don't, well, we don't need all that stuff. And it should be done decently in the, in the church and all this. Those are, just, those are just ways that people try to stop the Holy Spirit from doing stuff. Because we're scared of actually letting the Holy Spirit be in charge. But here's the reality. God has designed this whole thing so that you draw closer to Him. Here's the next part of this. He says, when we read these things again, you say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and perform many miracles in your name. It is important to note that they did it in the name of Jesus. Okay, they're, they're, this isn't like Satan was doing this. They were literally doing it in the authority of Jesus. But remember when the disciples came back to Jesus one time and said, hey, there's these group of people that are casting out demons in your name. Should we go stop them? And Jesus said, no, why would you do that? Why would you stop them? Well, what they were trying to say is they don't belong to you. They're not, you know, in relationship with you, but they're using your authority. The authority of the name of Jesus is the authority in the universe, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not. Okay, Jesus is still God over everything, and his name is sovereign and supreme. Even if you don't totally serve him or believe in him, his name is supreme. And I've seen that happen before. I've seen that, and we have at least two very specific uh, places in Scripture where it talks about that happening. Okay? So, we did all these things in your name. That means they were really doing this stuff. Remember when Jesus sent the disciples out, they were really casting out demons. They were really laying hands on the sick. And oh, by the way, Judas was one of those guys. Okay? That's another message. Verse 23, But I will reply, I never knew you. So that means you can do all the church stuff, all the Christian stuff, even to the point where it's pretty deep spiritual authority stuff, which doesn't involve most of American church right now. But you can operate in the authority in the name of Jesus, all that stuff, but not Jesus not know you. That's relationship. And this is the part where the church is really breaking down and doesn't understand this. We're so interested in doing all the church things. Now, in today's society, it's not those three things. The church walks away from those nowadays. We push against that. But what I'm talking about is we, we, we profess to be Christians. We do all the church stuff. We do the Christian things. But even though we're pushing away the authority and all that, what we're actually also doing is we're pushing away the intimacy and the relationship of Jesus. We're doing the church stuff. We're doing the Christian things. We're, and I'm not even assessing whether or not we're Christians by saying this. But Jesus here says, I never knew you. And then he makes a much stronger statement. He says, get away from me, you who break God's laws. He is saying to the people that are prophesying in his name, casting out demons in his name, and performing many miracles, healing the sick in his name. He's saying, you are breaking God's laws. Now that doesn't quite make sense if you're reading down through this. But if we go back up to the top, it says, only those who actually do, actually do, the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And then the key statement is down toward the end where he says, I never knew you. 
See, the, the, the church doesn't do a good job of understanding this. But ministry is not something that you do. Follow me with this. Ministering to others, praying for the, performing the miracles, praying for the sick, all these things, casting out demons, those aren't things that you do. That's stuff that flows from your existence when you know him. Now, you can do these things. We see it right here. You can do these things. But the way Jesus is saying it is doing those things doesn't, determine, doesn't um, guarantee that you're in relationship. It just means you understand spiritual authority. It means you understand the, the biblical concept of what spiritual authority is. But to actually know Jesus, that's the important part. And, and we're scared to death in the American church to actually know Jesus. We're scared. Because I, I have a good friend of mine here in, in town that uh, he and I have become really good friends. And he doesn't go to our church. That's not a bad thing, okay? Just because you're my friend, you don't go here. I get that. I mean, I don't get that. It shouldn't be that way. But either way, I mean, I understand. But here's what he told me one time. He says, I just can't do the whole speaking in tongues thing. And first thing I told him is we don't speak in tongues that much, to my, to my regret. I wish we did. You, you, you could go here for weeks and weeks and weeks and not hear anybody speak in tongues like a message. And I said, I wish that was more. Now, this was years ago he said this to me. But I told him, I said, you know, why does this bother you so much? Why are you scared about this? And by the way, I would, sit, I would say this with him sitting here because me and him have had this conversation multiple times. And he said, I just can't go there. I don't know. I just can't go there. As we are scared to death in the American church, I'm not saying in Church of Briargate, I know we're in a different place, but the American church is scared to actually just let go of our control and our frameworks and our logistics and our church structures and everything else and just let God be in charge. It's interesting to me when churches get larger how they have to stop having messages and tongues, interpretation and prophecies and all this other stuff. Well, we can't, you know, we can't, our church is too big. We need to know what's going on. We need to what? This is not the word they use. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm being overly critical here, but just to get the point across, we can't control it anymore. Well, you were never meant to control it. As a pastor, my job is not to control how the Holy Spirit does things. It is to monitor it and develop it and teach along the way so that we don't get out of control according to the Holy Spirit's control, right? This is very specifically spelled out in Scripture. That's actually part of my job description. But, but we're scared to what? We're scared for the Holy Spirit to really just move in our existence and for Jesus to truly get close. I mean really close. I can give you a couple of examples in Scripture that I think are part of this. <clears throat> when Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, he says, um, the, 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 the Lord opens like the curtains of heaven and he sees the, the, the afterglow of the Lord go by. He didn't see the Lord. He just sees like the, the pop rocks or something that goes by afterwards. It's probably not the best example. But, but just the stuff, the afterglow. And, uh, and, and then Isaiah feels the overwhelming presence of God because God just passed in front of him. And he, and he gets on his face before God and he begins to repent. I think that's one of the first reasons why we don't like the closeness of the Lord. The Lord will begin to show us things we need to do differently. Conviction. If it's true worship, if it's true intimacy with the Lord, conviction will happen every single time. 100% of the time that we will be convicted. Okay? Well, then what happens uh, when we're convicted? We have to make a choice. Do I repent? Do I let the Lord begin to change some things? And it may be sin issues. It may be baggage issues. Um, I've, I've experienced both of those in very heavy ways where the Lord begins to work on me, but what he's working on is, is the, my worldview, my understanding of life, the way I look at people, the way I look at Scripture, all this kind of stuff. He, he's, he's addressing my baggage. Not, not my sin, my baggage. And here's another thing. Isaiah's response is, 
Um, Here I am, Lord, send me. That's scary, is it not? I know many people over the years that the reason they cannot let the Lord get really deep in their soul and their spirit is because they're scared to death that God is going to send them somewhere. And then what's coupled with that, and from my experience, I don't know if everybody else perceives it this way, but what's coupled with that is you're scared to death that God is going to send you the very place you don't want to go. Right? Well, I don't, I don't want to go to Africa. And God's like, ha, ah, surprise. That's where you're going. Ha, 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 gotcha. That's how we think. God traps us, finally traps us, and we have to go to Africa. Or, or ha, ha, you're going to be a... a a porta potty cleaner. I don't know. And we're like, oh God, that's not what it is. Like, no, that's your that's my plan for your life. I mean, that's how Christians think sometimes. Guys, don't you don't you have enough confidence in God that when He says, I know the plans that I have for you, and they're good? Don't we have enough confidence in God that He's not just trying to make us do something we hate? But see, he says, I didn't know you. And therefore, you're breaking my law. The law is to know God. It's not to do the stuff. It's to know God. The doing the stuff comes from knowing God. A lot of times, the reason we get in problems and mistakes when it comes to how we do ministry and where we're doing ministry and all these kind of things and who we're witnessing to and all this kind of stuff is because it didn't flow out of relationship with God. It flowed out of obligation to do stuff. If it flows out of of relationship... We're going to be doing the things he's asking us to do. We're going to be successful at those. If it's flowing out of, well, I have to do this or I have to do this, well, that's not healthy. If the have to comes from God, then that's different. But a lot of times the have to comes from our own mind or our churches or pastors that, that preach, we need you to do stuff. Which, by the way, we do need a lot of volunteers in the church to do things. Pray about it. It's God's will. So... Here's, you know, on that, I, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago on our board, a uh, couple of board member meetings ago on our board, and, and I w- we were talking about serving and what it means for our church to do this, and, and part, of our, part of our deal around here, you know this, is we don't want you to ever just become a spectator. As spectators, spectators struggle in their relationship with God. If there is a relationship with God, spectators struggle because there's never the doing <clears throat> that flows out of that relationship. The Lord created us to do stuff, to use our brains, our talents, our abilities, and to do stuff. And so you need to be engaging. Some of that can include uh, working in the church, doing things in the church. There's a lot of things we could use around here. But one of the examples I gave is years ago, when I was a kid, I would go stay with my grandparents, my my dad's parents in Arkansas. I would stay with them uh, some in the summer. And um, and I would get up with my grandfather uh, they, both of them got up like at four every morning and, and I didn't and mind that. It was weird. They'd go out and work in the farm and I'd do that and I enjoyed it. And, uh, but I had to keep that quiet when I came back home because I didn't want my dad to think that I was enjoying work. And so, but my grandfather would get up early on Sunday mornings and he would go up and do things. He would open the doors, um, start the coffee, turn on air conditioners, whatever needed to happen. My grandfather did that and he would go around and he'd put the usher plates out, all kinds of things. Just like 30 little things that needed to be done that every church has to have happen. And, uh, and he saw it as his calling. He was very adamant about this. I can't not do that. If I don't do it, who will? We were talking about this in the board meeting the other day that we've had a paradigm shift in, in the older generation. And guys, I'm, I'm going to pick on you a little bit if you're the older generation. That, that, um, and I've had people say this in this church, say this to me. You know, when I go to them and say, hey, you've been nominated to serve on the board. And they'll say to me, well, I'm going to leave that to the younger people. I'm kind of re- retiring. You know, I'm retired or whatever. I'm going to leave that to the younger people. Because that is not a biblical model. If our whole board is younger people, we may have the drive, the desire, and the fire, but we don't have the wisdom, and that's straight from Scripture. We don't have the understanding and the wisdom that an older person brings to the table. Even if you like sleep half the board meeting, we don't care. Bring, the, bring your wisdom with you to this. Um, 
But things around the church, we've got boys' ministries, girls' ministries, all these things that some of the older people, some of you right here in this room, you have so much to give, but you're not. That's, that's not okay. You have, you have things that, that these young boys and girls need to know, that our teenagers need to know. They need to see you serving Jesus. You, you can't retire from Christianity. You can't. Maybe you slow down, you do stuff differently. I get that. I'm, I'm even uh, not as active as I was when I was a youth pastor. Of course, I could outbike any of you or run or anything, but don't challenge me because I don't want to die. But, but this is the thing is we, we, we have stuff we can give. And it comes from what? Not just having stuff to give, it comes from what? Knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. I still remember a, a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, when I had one, I was in sixth grade. And I was like 30 sixth grade boys in her classroom. And at the time, I was like, hey, God's cool. I, I look back and I do not know how she didn't kill us all. I don't. Now, it was a gen, different generation. If she went to our parents, our parents would kill us. But she loved us so much, and she would always tell me, I was, I was shorter than everybody else, and she would always tell me, Scott, you're going to be just fine. You're going to be tall, and you're, I didn't turn out tall, but not short. And she said, and God's going to use you. You've got a great ministry ahead of you. I remember, I can see her face saying this to me right now. Is that, to me, she was old. She may have only been 40, but I thought she was like 150. <laughs> but... Do you realize uh, uh, we need some of you older guys and girls in here, you need to be looking into the face of some of these people and saying this in our church of children, younger couples, this kind of stuff. But you have to earn that right, not just go to them. You earn that right by ministering, by getting involved. When you're a Royal Ranger leader and you do that week after week after week and then one of those parents are going through something difficult and now you're speaking not just to the boy but to the parent. Okay, that was, that was just a sideline there. Number one thing with this, the will of God is that you know him. You're doing the will of God when you're pursuing Jesus. And then stuff happens after that. Ministry, life, the gospel, all that stuff happens after that because of that. But knowing God is doing God's will so I want you to think about this. This is bringing me to the, the statement that I heard, which is where the title comes in. But I want you to think to yourself, um, a beautiful person, somebody that you know that is very beautiful, it could be guy or girl. Beautiful is not the right word, I guess, for guys, handsome, whatever. But you recognize this person as, man, that person is really good looking. Now, most of you probably are leaning to your spouse right now. I don't see anybody doing this. And saying, you are the most beautiful person on the planet. But after we get past that... Um, to really think to yourself, there are, there are, God creates people differently, and there are people that you would perceive as to be very attractive. Here's something I've learned over the years. That's very different person to person. It's also different generation to generation. Do you know that? If you back up, here's one of the ways you could do it. You can uh, look at movies from like the 50s and 60s and see what was considered attractive then. Look at movies that first became um, sound movies from the quiet age to the silent movie to the talkies. Um, look at what was considered beautiful. You realize this stuff changes over time. This stuff is, is different. Uh, right now, one of the things, and this is just my personal thing, one of the things that is considered very attractive in American society right now is this uh, extremely skinny meth look. You see it on magazines and stuff like that. I don't understand that. I don't need to see your rib cage. You know, God gave, God gave us fat for a reason. Put some on. <laughs> I know some of us probably need to slow down in this place, but put some on. It won't kill you. It's the opposite. I feel like I'm getting off track here, but <laughs> here's the statement because I've thought about this from how people perceive beauty. You know, you know, ask one person, and they don't see 
Somebody that you might consider very attractive, they may not consider them attractive. You ever noticed that before? I was, we were watching a movie years ago. Lynn and I, we had just been married a couple years, and we were watching an old Paul Newman movie. And, uh, and I said something to Linda about, that Paul Newman is good looking, and she said, he is easy on the eyes. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> but even I was like, he's a good looking man. He's a good-looking man. So, and she still, she still uh, will not pass up an opportunity to see Tom Selleck. She's, he's a good-looking man in her eyes. I think he's like 120 now. doesn't matter. He's a good-looking man in her eyes. You have people that you recognize that are attractive people, right? I do. It's only my wife. But here's this statement I saw, and I cannot find out who said it, but they said, we know what a beautiful body looks like, but we no longer know what a beautiful soul looks like. And is that, that cut to the depth of my own soul? What, what is a beautiful soul? What does that mean? How is God defining that? Well, he already shows us, if you know him, you're doing his will. That's a beautiful soul. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Because I've thought about this when it comes to a lot of things. What does a healthy um, family look like? What does a healthy marriage look like? All this stuff is in Scripture. All of this. We know what a healthy family looks like. It's described in Scripture. We know what a healthy marriage looks like. It's described in Scripture. And yet, the, the, the reason that I have a job to do what I'm doing right now and that I will always have this is because we can read it in Scripture, but we don't do it. We know. This is, this is, one, example. This is one example that I can give you. I've seen this for years. There, there are actually guidelines of how we discipline our children in Scripture. But we get so enlightened in America and so enlightened in American church that we just are not going to go by Scripture. We know that spanking children is something that is in Scripture. But we've been told by society it's not okay, and so we come up with every other way we can possibly discipline children without the only way mentioned in Scripture. I'm not saying there cannot be other things. You know, we found out with our three children, they all respond differently to different things. Right? If you have more than one child, you understand. But they all responded to spanking, for the most part. But, but here's the thing is, we, now we know better. We know better. We've come up with way better ways. Why? Dr. Spock told us back in the... Not this guy. Okay, he was a, he was a, a, a family psychologist or something. I don't know, but... But he told us, no, we got to stop all this. And there's so many people nowadays that are just, they just like to say, no, we're going to change the rules. And the church just goes, oh, okay. All right, but, but the Bible says this, yeah, but, you know, that was a long time ago. You, you either do what the Bible says or you don't. We see this when it comes to saying, what does it mean to have a beautiful soul? That doesn't use that language in Scripture. But there's plenty of scripture that shows us how if we let Jesus be in charge of us, our soul, our life, our existence, that we actually, and I know this is, this is just me kind of going on my own trail here, but I believe this. I believe this strongly, that when you begin to serve God, you are more physically attractive. Because why? Because you are spiritually attractive. I'll give you, a, since I'm giving the online Listeners, so much information right now. I, this is why I say often that, um, that I think one of the prettiest things in humanity is pregnant women. They, they, now, some it's because they glisten a lot, but, <laughs> but uh, I, I really do think one of the prettiest things. Now, here, follow my train of thought. It's because they are doing what God from the very beginning in And Genesis said, do this, populate the earth. And they're doing that. They are, they are doing now. And here's something we don't do very well in, in America is we don't respect this enough because there are people that can never get pregnant, women that have never been able to get pregnant. We don't respect this, this connection, this co-creation connection with our father that we have. We think, you know, When a mama loves a daddy, and I don't need to go any farther, right? But, 
we think, well, that's how babies happen. Do you really think that we're that much in control of this? God's the one who breathes life into that baby. You and I don't. He breathes his spirit. And that's why, to me, I think that's part of the reason why pregnant women should be respected, not coddled. You've got to make them tough because they're going to have children. But, <laughs> but that should be a respected thing. And I think it's beautiful when a woman is pregnant. It's beautiful. They're getting to do, we see actual evidence of their co-creation ability with God. Actual Evidence. That's amazing. In, in Colossians, I want to read this to you. I, I used to think these kind of scriptures, and there's a lot of sections throughout the New Testament that are just like this. <clears throat> but this is going to describe some sin stuff. And I always used to think, especially when I was a teenager, I wasn't, trying, I wasn't serving God, I was trying not to. And when you have these uh, don't-do lists, they, they're very... Um, I didn't like them because it seemed to be all the things I was doing. And then it would say, and you're not going to get to heaven if you do these things. And that really bothered me as a teenager. But I realize these things now, they're very much, they're the Lord saying, please, please listen to me. I am trying to help you. Right? That's not how we look at it. Well, God just says, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. All right. I understand the Ten Commandments are a do not list. But it starts off with God saying, I'm a jealous God. I love you. Love me back. The way he says it is, don't serve other gods. I'm a jealous God. Don't serve other gods. And we go, oh, he's so controlling. Why can't I just have and live life and enjoy life? And then he says something like, don't commit adultery. And you're like, ah, I'm so controlled. I want to commit adultery. And, and he's actually trying to help us. Right? A lot of people die when spouse comes home early. Jesus is trying to help us. And all of the, com all of the stuff, the commandment, everything is about that. And he's trying to help us. It's the same thing when we tell our children, don't touch that plug in the wall. And then they go, and you're like, dummy, I just told you. And we do the same thing with God. How, how dare you constrict my movements and my life? My, if I want to stick my finger in a plug, I'll do it. And if I was God, I'd be like, okay, and I'm going to ramp it up a little bit for you. <laughs> but I'm thankful because God has been very graceful to me over the years with these kind of things. I've stuck my, I've stuck my finger, I've stuck my tongue in the plug before. Not literally, okay? Some of you are like, that, he is dumb. No, not literally. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, don't do this, don't do this. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, I love this sentence in the New Living, set your sights on the realities of heaven. The realities of heaven. And then he tells us what it is. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. So where are we setting our sights? We're setting our sights on the realities of heaven, which is what? Christ is in authority and sits beside Jesus. I mean, sits beside God. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. Hopefully that should be our story. We did die to this life. The, the problem that we have as Christians is when we keep trying to live in the life, but say we're in this Christian life. We're still living this life, but we're saying Christian life or doing some of the Christian stuff. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. You know, that is a real moment coming up in our future. When Jesus declares himself and reveals himself to the whole planet, and we get to stand there saying, I'm with him. The king, the lamb, the majestic one, I'm with him. Read some of the stuff in the last few chapters of Revelation where Jesus comes back, or even the Battle of Armageddon, where Jesus comes flying through the clouds and, and a sword's coming out of his mouth and eyes like fire and all this kind of stuff, and, and you're going to be with him. You're going to be riding with him. 
in comparison to his horse, you're probably going to be riding a little uh, plastic thing in front of the grocery store, but you're riding with him. He's the king. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. I prayed that so many times in the Capitol. Jesus, just roar in this place right now. Let them know you're here. Let them know you're real. And then sometimes if I was angry or very frustrated or whatever, I would say, and, and make sure they know I'm with you. <laughs> and, and my goal was, Jesus says, I'm here, and they all just pass out. And I'm the only one standing there. That's right. I think that probably moved into the arena of self. but So put the debt, the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Guys, that's choice. You can choose that. Put the deathy things. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Have nothing to do with this stuff. The church has gotten really good at playing on the edges of all these things. And we've got to stay away from this stuff. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. And that makes sense, right? Whatever you're greedy after is what your God is. Whatever you're chasing after is what your God is. That's what greed does. And by the way, there's scripture about this too, but if you're not greedy, it becomes much uh, less easy for you to be taken advantage of. Did you know that? That's out of Proverbs a couple of places. If, you, if you're not greedy, it's harder for Satan to get a, something in there to manipulate you. <clears throat> a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Even if the church doesn't like it, even if the church believes we should only preach a, 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 a cotton candy, Jesus loves you no matter what kind of thing, um, which, which is a true statement, but there is also justice and judgment that is coming, and we've got to know that. And we can't keep sweeping that out to the side and never talking about that stuff. The church has got to know Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, it's to judge this world. We've got to know that. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Don't lie to each other. It's, it's becoming so common in society to lie, and it's becoming so common in the church to lie. Don't be that. <clears throat> Put on your new nature. Your new nature is what? Seeing the realities of heaven and that Christ is sitting beside God. That's, that's, that's the new person. That I have been covered with the blood and made right with God. That's the new person. That I can choose not to sin. That's the new nature. All these things are the new nature. But it doesn't say Jesus is going to put on, you, on your new nature. It says you put on your new nature. Jesus stand there holding the coat. You have to make a conscious decision to step into this. And to be this new person. And be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. I love that, that line. Learn to know your Creator and become like Him. It's not instant, but it is a great journey. Learn to know your Creator. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. He covers pretty much everything there. Right? Let me help you. Let me simplify this sentence for you. All lives matter. That's the simplified sentence. And if you put something in there as a, um, as a, uh, a qualifier for that, you're the one that's out of line because it doesn't match, match Scripture. Scripture says all lives matter, and he died for everybody. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. <clears throat> so the first thing, the will of God is that you know him. The second thing, the reality of heaven is Christ reigns. That's the realities of heaven that we keep our eyes on. And the third thing is that a beautiful soul is death to sin. And when we have a beautiful soul, it's because we are saying no to sin. And we're, and we're pursuing God. We're cleaning up. 
And again, I, I say this, I believe this. The closer you get to Jesus, I think you are more attractive on the outside too. And I don't know how it happens. It just seems that way. Oh, and by the way, we have many places in Scripture that shows that people had all kinds of strange things going on with their physical body, but when Jesus took over, their physical body was changed. When Jesus took over. Why don't you stand with me? Learn to know your Creator and be like Him. So I want to pray about this in a couple different ways. Um, I want to pray for us, and then we're going to process through some of this as we pray. But to think about, Jesus, I want my soul to be beautiful. What does that look like? I want my soul to be beautiful. Let's pray. God, we thank you for loving us. Jesus, for changing us. That, that we have the opportunity to be less like ourselves and more like you. God, help us to, to respect that, to understand the magnitude of what that means. That I can be changed. That I can put on new self. And I can do that every day. I can do that every day. Because Jesus, we need you. And there's so much junk, filth that Satan is trying to throw in our path to catch us, to trip us up, to get our eyes off of you. So help us just to pursue you, to pursue and, and to, to think about the realities of heaven. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed with me for a few minutes, and I want to I want to ask a couple questions. <clears throat> not not going to pick you out or have you come down for anything, but we're just going to pray as a group about all these things. But the first question is, do you know there's stuff right now in, in your life, in your mind, that you need to be forgiven of? And I'm, and I'm saying that more from just something, you know, happened on the way to work, but I mean on the way to church, but something that is in your life that you know I need to be forgiven of this. Mike, yeah, raise your hand real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a few of us. That's called being human. We need to be forgiven of this stuff. It's okay because Jesus is also wanting to forgive you, so it works real well. How many of you would say, I, I really, I need to pursue the Lord more and pursue other things less? I could raise your hand. Yeah. And the third question is you say, I, d I just don't belong to Jesus. I know I don't. I know he's not my Savior. I need him to be my Savior this morning. If that's you, I'd like to raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah, guys, that's what this is about. That's what this is about. Yeah. Okay, let's pray. God, we... We first just ask you to, to forgive us, cleanse us, wash us, make us clean. Make us brand new, without spot or wrinkle. And Lord Jesus, we accept and acknowledge the fact that you do this through your blood. That you cover us with your blood and you make us right with God. You forgive us and you wash us. You wash our minds, our spirit, our soul. Lord, we need that. We need that so regularly. We need that. Jesus, wash us clean. God, we want to be close to you, and we know we can't do that as sinners. So forgive us in the authority in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for this. We thank you that this is, this is who you are. It's what you do. Lord, I pray that, that we would pursue you all through this room. People raise their hands for that. That we want to pursue you, Jesus. That we don't want to just know about you and do, and do things that are about you, but we want to know you. We want to be close to you. We want to sit close to you. 
We want to hear your heart beating. We want to sense your covering. Holy Spirit, we want to respond when you convict us and draw us in close. We want to respond. Lord, I pray for me that you would convict me. God, I consider it an honor when you, when you have time enough to actually interact with my life and convict me. And then, Lord, I pray for, for anybody in here that's saying they need you as their Savior. Jesus, we, we submit ourselves to you right now. Forgive us. We surrender ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to you. And, Lord, we declare to ourselves and we declare to the spiritual world that we belong to you. That we're not just saying, Lord, Lord. But we are saying this from the point that you are a Messiah. You are God. You are a Redeemer. And then, Jesus, I pray for all of us that we would, that we would do the things of ministry that comes from our relationship with you. That we would minister to people, pray for people, witness to people, um, connect, whatever you're calling us to do, because it, it comes from, it flows from our relationship with you. We thank you for this. We thank you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So don't forget to um, go to the bike table, look at that, check it out. I know some of you are still looking at signing up for um, women's retreat, those kind of things. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the very best you can. Tell somebody Jesus loves them. Why? Because you know it yourself. And God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad that they're here. And encourage them to ride in the bike ride next year. And uh, we will see you. Have a great afternoon.